The results of submission and obedience. We were in this text last week, actually. We started the text. We did not get an opportunity to finish it. I want to put everything in its context. Beginning in chapter 12, the Lord Jesus Christ was anointed for what would be coming, and that is his death. In what we know as Palm Sunday, or we rejoice about that triumphant entry, beginning in chapter 12, verses 12 to 19, the Lord Jesus Christ, and this is important, came into the city of Jerusalem, and he came into the city presenting himself in a formal way, and the people, according to that context, were very excited. Their emotions were stirred up, and they should have been. They were celebrating, first of all, in a good way, thinking that Jesus the Messiah had arrived, that Jesus was that Messiah, and that was good. But as we have seen in our study, they were really looking for a military deliverer from the government of Rome. They were looking for a leader in that capacity, in a political way, rather than looking at a spiritual deliverer, a spiritual redeemer, as you had in the overhead this morning. The Lamb of God, they didn't see him coming in as the Lamb of God, even though John had identified him that way and prepared them for the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ was the Messiah and is the Messiah, but also would have to be sacrificed as the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. They didn't see him in that capacity. So he didn't fit the Jesus, or he didn't fit the Messiah, if you want specifically, that they wanted. Nevertheless, as Jesus came in there, in the course of time, Greeks, according to verse 20, verses 20 to 22, some Greeks who were probably proselytes, as we've said, these Greeks came to him and they wanted an audience with Jesus. They wanted an opportunity to explain uh, to Jesus and to sit down and talk with him, if you will, and to gain some further insight and understanding. And then if you just look at verses 23 for a second to 26 very quickly, Jesus began to explain that his time to die had come. The time was now at hand. His hour had come, verse 23. He had to go to the cross. Why did he have to go to the cross? Why did Jesus have to come to this earth in the first place? He had to come to be a sacrifice for sin. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to provide salvation, to provide redemption. We can't, and I'll be repeating this in a few moments, but we can't provide it for ourselves. And because of God's righteousness and his righteous demands, because the wages of sin is death, a sinless sacrifice had to pay the penalty and the price. The verdict of guilty was on us. It went to him, and he took it. And, and that's what we have in the death of Jesus Christ. And he explained that he must die and he used the illustration of a grain going into the ground. But he took it a step further. And he explained to them that even by way of salvation for man, man must die to self. In the next few verses, he explained that. He must die to himself. And what salvation is, is believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's dying to self and following him. And that's what he says in those verses through verse 26 in serving him. Now, let me make something very clear even at this early part of the message. He is not talking about some effort on our part that by strenuously trying to follow him and doing the best that I can, I come to salvation or, or you know, that's what gets me to heaven or gets the forgiveness of sins. No, not at all. The dying to self, a death is over. That is, 
that I need to see that nothing that I can do can save myself. And I basically, by faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ, who died. To quickly give you an illustration, early on in the message, when Christ died on the cross, there were two others who were on crosses that died with him. Thieves, robbers, murderers, uh, who were there with him. Uh, and their verdict was death as well. One of them went into the very presence of God that day. They were in paradise with him. And they never got down from that cross. They never faced a baby dedication. They never faced baptism. They never went to church after that. They stayed on the cross and they died, but because of their faith, that person's faith in the one that was on the cross, that person had forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life. It's through faith. The other just mocked Jesus Christ. He didn't want anything to do with Jesus Christ, and you know what? He got the consequences for that. He basically is in hell right now, spending eternity there. So it's not, though he said to die to self and follow me, it's not something by effort, it's still by faith. And then we saw that Jesus Christ, after talking about th uh, theology, if you will, with him and what should happen, and because of all the emotion, I believe, in the context that had happened when he entered Jerusalem, last week's message concentrated on the controlling of emotions with the balance and he showed them by example that if you basically submit to the will of God, uh, that what will happen uh, there in that process is that not only will your life be blessed, but you'll bring glory and honor to God. So what happened, we saw the illustration in verse 27, specifically last week, where Jesus controlled his emotions, though he as a man was troubled, and he asked the question, well, should I just ask the Lord, to the, the Father to deliver me? No. Because I came for this purpose. And he submitted to the Father's will rather than even to his own emotions to show us an example of how that works. So today's message and fi finishing off this passage then, which we didn't get to, well then what are the results of submitting to the will of the Father? What is the example that the Lord Jesus Christ has for us? Verse 28, we'll jump right into it. The first thing is glorification. His interest was to bring glory to the Father. You'll notice he says in verse 28, Father, glorify your name. He wants his Father to be glorified. In other words, what does that mean? To be recognized, to be honored, to be praised, to be manifest. Oh, and these are just different words that I'm trying to get into your mind. The concept of bringing glory to the Father. To make the Father big and not have the focus of attention on Jesus Christ. To shine the light on him. How would he do that? By submitting to the Father's will. He would make God the Father glorified or big or manifest by submitting to the will of the Father. He wanted the, the attention to go to the Father. And it's interesting to me personally because he uses actually an imperative with the Father. When he says, Father, glorify, he doesn't say glorify in this way. He doesn't say, if you do this, Father, then I want you to be glorified. That's often what we do with God. You get me out of this situation, I'll follow you. You do this for me, and then, okay, I'll get religious. You do this. That's not what he's saying at all. He says, above everything else, Father, imperative, glorify yourself. That's what I want. I want you to get the glory in this situation. And what happens is, there's a response in verse 29. And kind of where we ended up last week. In verse 29... Uh, verse 28 first, he says, I have 
both glorified it and will glorify it again. He says, I've done that, and I will continue to glorify it specifically through Jesus Christ. And he has seen, we have seen in the birth of Jesus Christ, his father got glorified. We've seen it as baptism when a voice came from heaven. We've seen at the transfiguration, I referred to that last week, and he's going to do it again at the cross and also in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and so forth. So he continues to get glory because Jesus Christ submits to the Father's will. And I want to challenge us as believers, that ought to be an objective in our life, to submit to the Father's will no matter what, no matter how difficult, because God will get the glory when that happens. So we ought to seek to submit to the Father's will as, as well. Now, in doing that, and this is part of last week's outline that we didn't get to, I just want to touch on this. We need to see that other people benefit from even the trials we go through. And that was also true in the Lord Jesus Christ, because when you get to verses 29 and 30, you see it. So the crowd of people who stood by and heard it, that was the voice, were saying that it had thundered. Others were saying, the angel who had spoken to him. And Jesus says this, The voice has come not for my sake, but for yours. Not only is what the Lord talking about here, in the fact of his going to the cross for their benefit, but even the voice that came from heaven. The Lord Jesus Christ didn't need that confirmation from the Father. Why did it come? For the benefit of others it came. And that is also true in our life. Sometimes what happens is other people get the benefits of even the difficulties that we go through. And the Lord Jesus Christ going through this personal struggle, the benefit was not only for God to get the glory, but for other people to benefit from it as well. In what way? Our trials, our circumstances, and we all face them. Sometimes it's not easy to submit to the Father's will. And we saw last week, we must sometimes go through those situations, and most of the time, in order to get the victory, but other people will benefit. I want you to turn to a text I know you're familiar with, but let's go there for just a second this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I want you to see this. There isn't a one of us that haven't been in trials and have not said, why, or when am I going to get relief from this, and, and what's going on? Well, the Lord Jesus Christ continued through the trial, as we see here in the context, and even the voice was for the benefit of others. And we see that it's also true in our life. Now, I just want to just pass a couple of comments here. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, look at verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. If you want to know where to go to for comfort, God is the person to go to. Now, watch this. Who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted of God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are yours in abundance, abundance excuse me, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. And what we see as we kind of close out that part of the, the passage is the Lord Jesus Christ submitted to the Father. He was concerned with the Father getting glory. And when we submit ourselves to the Father, he will get glory. And his will will be accomplished. But also, 
Sometimes we're going through that. God's teaching us that we grow, but he's going to use us in the lives of others. And even with his voice benefiting others, it is also true with us. It's interesting to take a second to look at this comfort in affliction or distress. Have you ever faced distress? Have you ever faced difficulties? It's interesting because the preposition that's used here is epi. And what that means to me is basically that he's saying this. In anything that may come upon us, because that's really what the preposition means, anything that may come upon us is also going to be used so that as we, it's kind of a play on words, come upon others who are in distress. And what he's saying is as we go through it, God is the one that will comfort us. He's the one that will help us through the sufferings. He's the one that will get us through it. And whatever it is that might come upon us, he's using it not only to conform us, but so that as we come upon other people and they have those situations, God is going to enable us to be a comfort to them in what? Directing them back to the one that got us through it. And that's exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ did, by the way. We saw last week that Jesus Christ is able to comfort us because he understands us. Why? Because he has gone through the heartache, the tears, the difficulties, the distresses, just like we do. And praise the Lord that he was fully human. He submitted and obeyed, obeyed the Father, and God get the glory. When we submit to the Father, God will also get the glory, but also God will eventually use us to be a benefit and help to others. And that also comes true even in the preaching of the gospel. Go back to John, by the way. I think there's kind of an application here, if you will, because as that voice came and the Father spoke clearly, there's kind of three reactions. Some people just heard a bunch of noise. They heard thunder. Other people had some comprehension because they said it must be an angel. But Jesus Christ knew exactly what was going on. He said, no, no, this is the Father that was speaking to me, and that voice came for your benefit. And it's also true that sometimes that happens with us. There are different reactions to our situations. And sometimes we see that people react in that way. You might share the gospel. You might share a trial. And all they hear is a bunch of noise. Really. That's all they hear. Oh, you share the gospel with them, but to them it's, uh, it's a bunch of nonsense. It's a bunch of noise. I hear words, but it doesn't make any sense. And sometimes when you share the gospel or you share a trial that you've gone through and you share that with others... They see a little bit more than noise. They see something there, and as these people attribute it to the angel, they may say there's something there, but, you know, they don't comprehend it. And others, God opens up their understanding. Maybe a poor illustration, but my uh, daughter and son-in-law have a dog named Molly, and uh, when Molly comes over the house and so forth, what happens is sometimes we talk to the dog and so forth, and, we, and if other animals are around, it's just a bunch of noise. But it's interesting because when they talk to the dog and say, sit, the dog has some type of comprehension there. They know that something was said that they have to respond to, okay? But then the last one that I would put out to you is, for the most part, they can't co- the dog can't comprehend everything that's going on. And only the spiritual can really comprehend that of the one that God's working in their life. I say that to you as a fellow believer, not to be discouraged. Whether it's going through a trial, whether it's preaching the gospel, people are going to react and respond in different ways as well. And I think there's an application we can use there. But I want to go beyond that now. Not only did his obedience bring glorification to God by submitting to the Father's will, but it also brought judgment. The submission of the Lord Jesus Christ brought judgment in two areas. When he died on the cross, 
this passage tells us that two judgments took place. And while it says judgment, I want to tell you they're actually victories for us. And victories, in a sense. Look at verse 31. Now judgment is upon this world. That's number one. Number two, and the ruler of this world will be cast out. Will be cast out. So first of all, there's judgment on this world. Now what's he dealing with? Just the physical planet that's going around the sun that you and I are on right now? Is that all? No, it goes well beyond that. Look at John chapter 7. Let's look at John's use of it, for example. John chapter 7. What does he mean, the judgment of this world? John chapter 7, verse 7. He says, The world cannot hate you, but it hates me. Why? Because I testify of it. What? The world. In what way? Explain yourself. That its deeds are evil. That's the explanation. It's dealing with the deeds of the world. It's dealing with the world system. It's dealing with the world's rebellion. Look at chapter 8 of John. Chapter 8, same gospel account. Verse 23, we've seen this. In John 8, 23. And he was saying to them, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. This world, in comparison to everything that's here, he was spiritual, he was from the Father, he's been in heaven, and so forth. And when you go through Scripture, you'll see that's what he's dealing with. I won't turn to 1 John chapter 2. You're familiar with it. The world is referred to as the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And so when he says that he's judging, is he just judging the physical planet? Or is he talking about the sin, the rebellion, the evil that is in the world, the system of the world? That's really what he's talking about in John chapter 12. Now judgment is upon this world and its system. Well, obviously, what does he mean by that? It's not the final judgment. There's always been even jokes made about it, about doomsday and the end of the world and people with signs, the end of the world's coming and people going up in mountains waiting for the rapture or waiting for the end of the world to take place. Well, it couldn't be that sense that he's referring to. That will happen one day in the future. So what is he talking about? Uh, when he talks about the world, uh, is he in that sense? No. The judgment actually went on Jesus Christ when he took the judgment for our sin. And through the cross, the world was judged. In what sense? God's wrath for sin was paid for on him. God's wrath for sin was paid for. And all of creation is going to be affected by it, as we will see in the future. The whole planet is still calling out in travail, waiting for the perfect redemption that's coming. Sin was atoned for in Jesus Christ. Sin was paid for. Now what does that mean? Since his death is coming, and he's going to talk about that being lifted up again, in what sense, by his obedience for that death, is the world judged? The whole standards of the world, the whole system of the world, which includes this, religion. Man is the one that's come up with the concept of religion. And in case you're not alert to the day and age in which you're living in, let me help you a little bit. Today, there is a rebellion against the whole concept of religion. And you know why? It's what religion has done. It's what religion has done to the name of God, and it's what religion has done to cause confusion in this world. It is. 
The standards of religion is folly because of what Christ has done. The world makes light of sin. God does not make light of sin. That's why there's judgment at the cross. At the cross of Jesus Christ, the hand of God came down and it basically judged the world and all of its standards and all of its methods and all of its religion and everything else. It was basically rendered inoperative as satisfying the righteousness of God. Now there's no more power in the world, its system, and we'll see in a moment, even in Satan is himself, to be able to dominate us. At the cross, the judgment, God's righteousness was satisfied in Jesus Christ, and the world is, was judged right there. All of its system, all of its folly, all of its evil. The judgment was borne by the Lord Jesus Christ. There's, there ought to be no more fear of death, even for the believer. That's what he means. The whole world was judged right there at the cross of Jesus Christ. It showed the righteousness of God. We're going to see that in a minute uh, when I refer to another verse in John. At the cross of Jesus Christ, he bore our penalty of our sin right there to satisfy God, and the world's judgment was sealed in its system, in its effort to get to God and satisfy God. And I will tell you this right now. If you're here as a visitor today, if you're here for the first time, you are a sinner. All of us are. The world doesn't like that word anymore. It's changing. But in God's eyes, we're all sinners. We've come short of his glory. There's not a righteous one. Not one. No, not one, the scriptures say. Well, how do I atone for sin? You can't. That's why Jesus Christ came. Jesus Christ came to be the penalty and price for sin. And God's righteousness is satisfied. It demanded the death. And that death of Jesus Christ put judgment on the world and all of its systems. You can follow religion till you're blue in the face. You can go to this church or any other church every single day. That effort will not get you into heaven. You can try on the basis of your good works and say, well, I hope my scale of good works, what a way to die. Think about that. Do you want to go to your grave hoping that your good works outweighs your bad and not knowing? I don't want to go to the grave that way. You never know whether you do enough good works. The whole system has been judged at the cross of Jesus Christ. None of it works. The only thing that does is the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he's the way, the truth, and the life. That's why he's the Lamb of God. Not only that, we find out that not only is the world judged, but it refers to Satan there when it says the ruler of this world will be cast out. Would you turn with me to two texts quickly? 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4. Then I'm going to come back to John. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. I want you to see when it's talking about, first of all, in this verse, the ruler of this world, who is the ruler of this world? It's referring to Satan. He's even referred to the God of this world in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. Watch. In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. Why? So they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Where? Who is in the image of God. I want you to grasp that. If you're here this morning and you've been resisting the gospel, if you're here this morning and you just say, I cannot believe that it's just found in Jesus Christ and he's the only one, you might not like what I'm going to say, but here it is. You are being blinded by Satan. 
Not only are you not seeing it for yourself, Satan is adding to your blindness. That's what it says. He's blinding your mind. Why? Because he doesn't want you to see the light. What is the light? Fellowship Bible Church? Absolutely not. What is the light? Pastor Dan? Absolutely not. What is the light? Your parents, your uncle, your aunt, those that have been talking to you? Absolutely not. The light is the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, that he came because of the seriousness of sin. And on him the judgment went. And now the world stands judged. And now Satan stands judged because he's been rendered an operative. The very thing that Satan used and the world used the cross, thinking that they would judge Jesus Christ and put it away, and it stands in judgment against them and him. That's what we have. Go to Ephesians chapter 2 for a second. That's the second passage. Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 2. And you were dead, in verse 1 it says, those who have trusted in Christ and you trespassed in sins. Watch. In which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is working in the sons of disobedience. He's working in it. And what do you do? He explains it. You go after the lust of the flesh. You indulge in the flesh. You indulge in your mind. You basically love wrath. You love sin. And what are you doing? You're not only following your own thoughts. You might think that that's it, but you're following the course that Satan wants you to follow, plain and simple. Why? Because if you don't come to Christ, you're going to see Satan is your master because that's who you're going to spend eternity with in hell. Pretty frightening. But his authority, Satan himself has been judged. Just like the world, it wasn't the final judgment. That's coming. But the world's power, the world's system was rendered inoperative. It was put to death in the death of Christ. So too has Satan pow Satan's power had that. Turn with me to John, back to John. Go to chapter 16. John chapter 16. I want you to see this. In John chapter 16, in verse 11. Now let me give you a little bit of the context. In the context, he's talking about the Holy Spirit coming. Maybe I'll go back a little bit further. He says this in verse 8. And he, that is the Holy Spirit, when he comes, will convict the world concerning three things. Sin, righteousness, and watch, judgment. Watch. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. He's going to convict them of that. Concerning righteousness, why? Because they go to the Father and you no longer see me. The righteousness of God is seen in the person of Jesus Christ. The world's going to be convicted of that. You saw the righteousness of God also in the cross of Jesus Christ. And then he says this in verse 11. And concerning judgment, the Holy Spirit will convict the world of judgment. Why? Because the ruler of this world, and I love this, has been judged. It's a perfect participle. He has been judged. It's judged. It will ever, forever remain judged. Satan has several judgments. One of them took place right at the cross. The righteousness of God is seen, and that's why the Holy Spirit has brought people to Christ, as he convicts them of sin. And he convicts them of righteousness and brings them back to the cross. So I want you to see that you don't have to be submitted to the power of Satan. He's been judged at the cross. The world has been judged. Satan has been judged at the cross of Jesus Christ. All of the world's systems that they try to work to get right with God will never work. The only thing that does is the cross. It's judged there. 
all of the powers of Satan that he could put together to try to attack and even put to death Jesus Christ and keep him there while he thinks he's winning, he lost at the cross. He was judged at the cross. Now what application does that have to believers, Pastor Dan? Does that mean if I follow the will of God, I'm going to be judged? Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says this. You can turn if you want, but I'm just going to quote it. There is therefore now no condemnation. Great. To who? To them or those who are in Christ Jesus. Those who by faith have trusted in Jesus Christ, because of the judgment of the cross, we don't face judgment. There is no condemnation for us. In Romans chapter 6, I purposely had that. What does that mean? Does that mean I can live any way I want? Absolutely not. Because if you belong to Christ, you've died with Christ. And we're told elsewhere in Romans, and here's the key, that we are basically to render that inoperative now in our lives. We don't have to submit even to Satan. He's been judged at the cross. And it's not talking about the judgment seat of Christ either in, in this particular passage. Satan's been judged. We don't have to face condemnation. Our sins are forgiven. The judgment seat is reserved to basically review our uh, award, rewards or loss of rewards. But turn with me back to 2 Corinthians chapter 2 for one minute. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. I want you to see verses 14 to 16. In verses 14 to 16 we read this. But thanks be to God who always leads us to triumph in Christ and manifests through us, watch that, through us, a sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among, watch this, those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are an aroma of death to death and to the other an aroma of life unto the life and who is adequate for these things. I'll say to you by way of practical application here what we're dealing with is the world was judged, Satan was judged, Christ submitting to the Father's will judged both the world and it judged Satan and also the believer's life is a judgment in that sense. We're not judged at the cross in the sense of we face no condemnation. In fact, our salvation rests there. However, even through our testimony, people are judged because of the effects of the cross. And even as they look at us, some will refuse. And that's why I gave you that little application early. Some will refuse and hear a bunch of noise out of your life or out of your mouth. And what is the problem? The problem is they can't see and Satan's blinding them and they don't know it and they need Christ. And if they don't believe, then what? Is it your fault? Absolutely not. Your life will act as a testimony against them. Your submission to the will of God will bring glory to God and it stands, if you will, by application as further judgment against those as an evidence of the grace of God. Finally, we see that Christ's obedience brought salvation, verses 32 and verses 33. Let's look at them quick. John chapter 12, verses 32 and 33. If you got nothing else from the message, catch on to this one today. It says in these verses, And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, and I'll come back to this expression, will draw all men to myself. 
But he was saying this to indicate, he tells you the explanation in verse 32, the kind of death by which he would die. Jesus Christ is referring to the fact that he would be lifted up. We saw that in John chapter 3, by the way, when he compared to Moses. As Moses lifted up in chapter 3, 14, so the Son of God must be lifted up. In John chapter 8, we saw it again, in which Jesus Christ referred to being lifted up. What is that? The cross of Calvary. Jesus Christ talked to them about the death that he must face, that which was a curse to society, that which was a curse among men. Why? Because he bore the curse for us. He was there as a substitute in being lifted up. Now, what does he mean when he says, he will draw all men to myself? In verse 32, there are several theological meanings that have been given to you, and I'm going to get right to the heart of what I believe it is in, in a second here. What, which one of them is that everybody will be saved. That's obviously not true. That cannot be the meaning of the passage here, that I will draw all men in the sense of everybody that he's talked about earlier. He, he talked about Jesus Christ uh, has to have people drawn to him by the Father. And if it means that he's going to draw all men to himself in the sense of salvation, then do anything you want because you're just going to be saved. Nowhere in the scripture does it say that. He not only says all have come short of the glory of God, but he says that Jesus Christ is the only way, truth, and life. No one will come to the Father but by him. And he says not all will come because the day is coming in which all men will be judged, some unto everlasting life, some unto condemnation in hell. Well, if that's true, it can't have that meaning. The second theological thing that is said is that it's always the efficational call. So what this means is the elect that he's only going to draw the elect, and since it's in the context where Greeks came to him, that if Greeks come and Jews come, that that's the sense in which it's meant, that he's from all nations and so forth. And that's what the all men means. I don't think that's right either. That's stuck in there because it needs to fit into somebody's theology. Put it in its context. What does it mean then? The context is only talking about one thing. Look at it. Verse 31. Now judgment is upon the world. And not only that, the ruler of this world will be cast out. That's judgment. If I'm lifted up, it's judgment. That's the whole context of it. And he talks about the lifting up in 33, uh, 32 and in 31. And in between it is the ruler, excuse me, is the drawing of all men. Well, how's that got to fit in the context of judgment? What do you mean? Because of the cross of Jesus Christ, all men will be drawn to make a decision and see. That cross is where the judgment of God took place. And they will either basically believe on the Lord Jesus Christ or they will not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And yes, people have to be drawn by the Father. No question. And yes, there is the subject of election. But you can't pull this out of context to try to make it fit a theology. He's talking about all men being drawn to the cross of Jesus Christ. Turn with me to John chapter 9. Remember this? John chapter 9, verse 39. We know Jesus Christ came into the world to save the world, but he also said this, and I covered it when I studied it. In verse 39, and Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, so that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind, and everyone falls into that category. I came into this world for judgment. The context of chapter 12 is judgment. 
The context of where he's got that drawing all men is judgment. And if you're here today, and I believe that's the significance of what he needed them to see. He needed them to see in John chapter 12 that unless they die to self and follow him, there is no salvation. Unless they come to that cross and see that the judgment of God rested on him and this world and its system is judged and Satan is judged and believe on him, there is no salvation. And all men will be drawn to that. There will be no man without excuse. And when I say man, it is generic. To put it very bluntly to you today, because of the cross of Jesus Christ, everyone in my hearing, in the hearing of my voice right in this room, you will stand before God. And those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ will spend eternity in heaven because their sins have been forgiven and they will have accepted by faith the perfect, completed work of Jesus Christ, which was the judgment on sin. And those who won't will be faced with that judgment. They looked at it. They only heard noise. They looked at it. They heard something spiritual, but they didn't hear it all. And they didn't believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that cross of being lifted up will stand in judgment for them in all eternity. In all eternity. And I believe that's the context. So what's it saying? Fellow believer, first of all, we have a Savior that has been touched with our infirmities in all ways. We can go to him to find help in time of need. He had emotions. We prayed for three families today. I tried to share a little bit about each family and what they were, were facing. We as a church have a responsibility. Things are hurting People are hurting. We have job situations, family situations, physical situations. Christ knows it all. But he didn't just give in to them. He basically submitted his will to the Father's will so God would get the glory. We need to do that. We can go to him in prayer. We can go to him and understand. Who can do that? Those who through faith have come to Christ and followed him. And they can find comfort in time of need. They can find help in time of need. We have understood the gospel. We have our sins forgiven. And we can go to him. He's shown us the example of what it means. And even shown us, he didn't have to address Satan. He didn't have to address the world. He simply presented his life and the gospel to the world and let you know that it's all judged at the cross. For those who have not yet come to Christ, our desire is that your heart and mind would be opened. How? when you hear that Jesus Christ came to this earth, the Word was made flesh. Why? Because God so loved the world. He sent His only begotten Son. Why? Because this world system can't get you to heaven. Your good works can't get you to heaven. Your good works can't restore you to a relationship with God. No religion on the face of the earth can do that for you. But Jesus Christ can. And when you look at the cross... What you see is the righteousness of God. And Jesus Christ says this, Come unto me, all ye that, that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For what? Your souls. So many people go through this life with facades on the outside. Oh, I'm okay. But you know what? They know deep down inside there's no relationship with God. I don't know him. I hope if there is a God, I might meet him. Bad terms to go to your grave with. 
when Jesus Christ says, all who come to me, I will in no wise cast out. When he says that he has borne the penalty and price for our sin. When he says, not by works of righteousness what we, that we have done, but by his grace he saved us. By his grace. Salvation is a free gift. It is found in the gift of God sending Jesus Christ. It is found at the cross of Calvary with he who was lifted up. And now it's looked at his faith. Faith in the finished and completed work. You'll see that he didn't stay in the grave. He was resurrected. But Satan was judged there. The world's judged there. And all men's judgment sits right there. As they're drawn to the cross and say, it's noise. It's not for me. And that judgment will rest on them. Or someone's heart is opened by God and mind in which they look at the cross like that one that was on the cross and says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He says, today you'll be with me. Why? Because of the faith of the one who was in that cross in the middle. Your faith needs to be in him in order to have forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life. And that's our prayer at Fellowship Bible Church for you. Let's pray. Our Father in God, undeniable, incomprehensible, we stand in awe that you would love us so much that in spite of our sin, in spite of us being enemies of God, in spite of us rejecting everything that you want for us, you loved us so much you sent your son that he was lifted up on the cross. And in that cross of Calvary was the judgment of the world, was the judgment of Satan. And every man's called into judgment in the sense of those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ will not be judged, but will have eternal life and no condemnation. But those who do not will face the judgment and hand of God as they try on their own to make it right with you. Our heart's prayer this morning is that you would open up the understanding of those who do not understand. That, Father, you would take away the blindness that Satan desires to have them continue in. And that, Father, you might open them up to the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ and that today would be the day of their salvation. And I pray for every believer that you'd encourage us to stand in awe in the fear of God for the things that you are doing in our life. Help us to be a thankful people. Help us to realize we come to a Savior that understands all that there is to know because he's faced it. And help us to have the courage to submit to the Father's will as things come our way, realizing you'll not only use it for your own glory and encouragement in our life, but, Father, you'll even use it through our life to encourage and help others. And, Father, we pray that we would have joy in our hearts because of that and you would get all the glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.